0: Welcome to DFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports' most valuable podcast, presented by 4for4 4 4 Football. I'm 4 for Four senior DFS editor, Chris Raybon, joined by roster coach, co-founder, and 4for4 4 4 associate editor, Mr. TJ Hernandez. What's popping, TJ?
1: What's up, Chris? Uh, I'm just getting ready for what is expected to be the lowest scoring week in over three years, uh, looking at average implied point totals the average expected score this week is 20.02 points that's the lowest uh going back all the way to week one of 2013
0: is that counting the rams or is that the main uh,
1: that's counting that that's counting the rams and even if you take out the rams it's still the lowest expected scoring week of 2016
0: very interesting, yeah, because I saw the Rams implied total is like something ridiculous, like 11.75 mm-hmm. or something. Um, but really interesting stuff. We will have more nuggets like that throughout the podcast on DFS MVP. But quickly, let's talk about the song that played us in, which was T.I., What You Know, off 2006's release, King. And I was looking at our DFS MVP playlist, which is available on Spotify. The link is in the show notes. But we didn't have any T.I., so I thought that we needed some. Love this song. It's a good gym song. It's also a good victory song, I think, if you have a good lineup and you place high in the GPP. You'd be like, what you know about that?
1: Yeah, there's a few. T.I. went on a really nice uh, three or four album run in the in the mid-2000s. So nice that we finally got some T.I. in there.
0: Most definitely. Congratulations to Broski. Duter, who finished first place in Week 14's 4-for-4 Championship qualifier on DraftKings with a score of 212.46. His lineup was Kirk Cousins, Le'Veon Bell, of course, Tevin Coleman, nice pivot off Freeman, Pierre Garçon, T.Y. Hilton, Emmanuel Sanders, DeWaney Walker, Carlos Hyde, and the Cincinnati Bengals. So congrats again to him and Good luck to everybody competing in the week 15 4 for 4 DraftKings Championship before we get into the quarterbacks I just want to mention our DFS theory segment today will be on leaving salary on the table whether you should when is it the best idea when is it not and for quarterbacks Matt Ryan this week 8500 On FanDuel, 7,300 on DraftKings at home in the Dome against the San Francisco 49ers. Now TJ just mentioned that it is a really low scoring week or projected to be a low scoring week uh, according to the betting lines. However, the Atlanta Falcons, according to Vegas Insider, on Wednesday, December 14th when we're recording, the Falcons have a... An implied total of 32.5. That's 5.75 points higher than anyone else. Ryan is responsible for 76% of the Falcons' offensive yardage and 67% of their offensive touchdowns. And the 49ers, we know they're a bad run defense, but they're also ranked 29th in 4 for 4's schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. So this is a bad defense and on a week where a bunch of other top quarterbacks are going to have to deal with either tough defenses or weather issues or injuries or both, um, I think Matt Ryan is a pretty safe play in Week 15. TJ?
1: Yeah, I like Matt Ryan a lot. One of my uh, top, definitely top two or three quarterback plays. Unlike last week, I think quarterback's a little more straightforward this week. It was really wide open last week. Uh, One guy that really stands out to me on, on both sides this week, is Tyrod Taylor. He's $7,600 on FanDuel and $5,700 on DraftKings playing against the Browns. Uh, That price point really stands out on DraftKings, but I think he's hovering right around quarterback 15 on both sides, so pretty good value Buffalo's favored by 10 with an implied point total over 26. There's only four teams this week projected to score 26 or more points. So again, kind of harping on that expected low scoring week. If you can uh, load up on a couple of players in those uh, on those higher scoring teams, I think you're going to be at a big advantage. Cleveland ranks 31st in adjusted fantasy points allowed to the quarterback position. We know they've uh, been really susceptible everywhere. Uh, If we look on on the DraftKings value reports on 4 for 4, Tyrod Taylor is actually a top two value because of all the reasons that I just mentioned, and uh, especially if you're playing cash games, I I think it's worth noting, we haven't talked about it probably as much as as we should this year, probably a function of the running quarterbacks not um, not having good years, but anytime you can get that rushing floor, uh, it's always nice, especially in cash games. Tyrod leads all quarterbacks in rushing yards this year averaging just over 36 yards per game. So uh, just by rostering him, you're almost getting a a free touchdown uh, right off the bat.
0: Yeah, and on top of that, Taylor has Sammy Watkins back now. Seems at full strength, played all but three snaps. Last week also has Robert Woods back. So he's got his full complement of weapons. This is a bad pass defense. I like Tyrod a lot. This week, my key stat is... Only five teams have thrown less on first or second down in the first halves of games than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which they have done so on 43.4%. Uh, of first and second downs over their last three games. The NFL average is fifty two point six, so that seems to be capping the upside of Jameis Winston and Mike Evans a little bit. Seems like they're not really going to be aggressive throwing the ball unless they get in a situation where they really have to.
1: Yeah, and we've kind of seen that uh finally show up in the volume numbers. Evans Evans targets really down his target shares where it's been but uh that volume is coming down a little bit uh my key stat over the last six team games philadelphia's defense ranks last in touchdown rate allowed to opposing quarterbacks and fantasy points allowed per pass attempt
0: oh man another wacko for flacco week maybe <laughs> uh tj i want to ask you about a couple of these guys aaron Rodgers has just been exceptional over these last six seven weeks however now he's going to chicago expected five degree weather 18 mile per hour winds but and rogers a little banged up but we know green bay can't run so how do you feel about rogers this week would you touch him in cash games or is he a tournament only option or are you staying away from him altogether
1: uh well definitely on DraftKings, I don't think he's a cash game option and not because I don't think he's going to have a, a, a good week. It's just salary's really tight on DraftKings this week. I'll uh, we'll definitely get into that in a second with running backs. Um, I, I also don't know if I could fit him in on FanDuel. I'm not too worried about the weather. Uh, I mean, the temperature defi- definitely doesn't bother me. The wind does a little bit, but we also saw... Earlier in the season, there was a big wind concern in a in a Green Bay Detroit game, and that ended up being one of the biggest shootouts of the year. The only difference is that game was in Green Bay with the wind. If if um, I remember correctly, the wind is a little bit more uh, affects the game a little bit more in Chicago just because you get uh, that kind of swirling wind that could really mess up the passing game. Uh, overall probably except for a couple gpp spots just because aaron Rodgers has been not just a good fantasy quarterback he's been insanely efficient uh probably not gonna have a ton of him but um you know we'll 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 dabble here and there just because like you mentioned they don't run the ball at all
0: yeah and the win probably not too big of a factor because the green bay passing game really isn't built on vertical routes anymore mm-hmm. um i know Devonte adams caught caught a long one last week but in general they kind of just spread them out and throw short. Alex Smith is going against a Titans defense that is ranked dead last in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. Trevor Simeon had a decent game last week um, also because a lot of quarterbacks didn't do well. So if you had Simeon at near minimum price, you were fine because he threw for a lot of yards even though he got the one touchdown. So now with Kansas City's offense looking a little bit more aggressive, Travis Kelsey Um, coming on Tyree kill a threat to break one is Alex Smith usable now in tournaments like does he have more upside especially against a a defense that's ranked dead last in adjusted fantasy points allowed
1: I mean I get it my The only problem with Alex Smith for me is there are guys pretty similar in salary that I'll probably end up um, liking a little more. Uh, Definitely Tyrod Taylor, who I already mentioned. Colin Kaepernick comes to mind. Uh, Maybe even Trevor Simeon you could argue you like over Smith this week. So even though the matchup is really great, uh, I I still just don't think that um, it's – I mean we've seen Alex Smith put up the numbers here and there before, but I think this week I like guys priced similar a little bit more.
0: And what about Sam Bradford? He's been okay. He hasn't he's only thrown three picks this whole year. He's going against the Colts defense, twenty-seventh in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. The Vikings team total is almost five points higher than their season average, and he's min priced on DraftKings. Is he worth a shot?
1: Yeah, I did notice the the relative implied point total, and that did catch my attention, but um, even though their relative imp- uh implied total is high it's just a team overall that's not going to put a, t- a ton of points on the board I think I'd rather target Bradford's weapons in my lineups than Bradford himself
0: I mean I definitely think it's an interesting play because he'll be like one or two percent and Adam Thielen has really kind of impressed me over these last few weeks I think he has double digit DraftKings points in five or six straight games we know Stefan Diggs will be there. Kyle Rudolph is going to have a good matchup. So yeah, I definitely think the pass catchers themselves have better individual matchups. But especially maybe in a in a uh, smaller slate, like I forget what time the game is, but whatever time that game is, I think it's worth a shot um, there. Moving on to running backs, Le'Veon Bell. Man, 9,400 on FanDuel, 9,800 on DK at the Cincinnati Bengals. And Bell... His average of 161.6 yards from scrimmage per game is currently the second-highest single-season average since 1932. In his career, he's, for some reason, better on the road. And maybe this is just because Ben Roethlisberger is not good on the road. But 10 of Bell's 16 career games with 100 or more yards and a touchdown have come on the road The Bengals are 28th in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. The Bengals have allowed 4.85 yards per carry over the past three weeks. They allowed Isaiah Crowell to break a couple big runs. Last week, he averaged 11.3 yards per carry on his 10 carries. So, nothing really not to like with Le'Veon Bell. He's seeing unprecedented usage and playing at an extremely high level to the point where I think if he continues to play like this even though he missed some games you might have to put him in the MVP discussion so this is a week where I think you just you have to you have to build around Le'Veon Bell like you can't I don't think you want to fade a guy in cash games anyway you, I don't think you want to fade a guy who's playing like this getting the usage he's getting and just putting up a historical season TJ
1: yeah I mean this week, I think, is really going to come down to, um, at least in cash games, if if you can fit in Le'Veon and David Johnson together in your lineups, I think that's ultimately going to be the the big decision on Fanduel. I think it's a a, a little more viable. Um, if you follow our, our articles on four for four, I, I get into that a little bit into the introduction on the DraftKings cash game article. So keep an eye out for that this week. So um, I'm not going to get into that David Johnson is a great play. We all know he's great. Uh, Price is pretty high on DraftKings this week, but if you're not going to build around those two guys, I think uh, the starting point, at least for value, is Kenneth Farrow of the San Diego Chargers filling in for Melvin Gordon. Priced at $6,000 on FanDuel, just $4,400 on DraftKings facing the Raiders in San Diego. Um, there, There are a couple options sprinkled on both sites that are, Affordable at the running back position but I don't think any that are going to see the volume that we can expect out of Kenneth Farrow. We saw him get 22 touches last week coming in uh, in relief for Melvin Gordon over the last six weeks San Diego has given their running backs as a whole, 60 per, 62% of total touches, that that ranks top five in the league in touches allocated to the position. Uh, I don't think the offense is going to change much with Farrow. He can catch the ball. He's pretty powerful. Oakland ranks 27th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to the running back position, and this is expected to be a close high-scoring game. Uh, spread of just three points, over-under at 50, just one of three games with the over-under at 50 or higher, so... Uh, if you're looking for a value running back, that's definitely who I'm plugging in.
0: Key stat, the Atlanta Falcons lead the NFL in red zone rushing attempts with 74. And this week, they're going to face a 49ers defense that has allowed the most red zone rushing attempts at 77.
1: Yeah, I saw you tweet that one out. I love those those red zone splits, something I always really look to from my tournament data. Uh, my key stat, Over the last six weeks, five teams, Arizona, Baltimore, New Orleans, New England, and Cleveland have allocated at least a quarter of all of their team targets to the running back position.
0: Yeah, man. I like Kenneth Dixon this week. I think he Mm -hmm. caught eight passes last week. He just looked good last week running against New England. and He set a season high in snaps and touches last week. And Baltimore pretty much does not run the ball, so it's good on draft teams where you can get those receptions full PPR. TJ, David Johnson or Le'Veon Bell?
1: Uh, this week for price sensitive purposes, um, because I think the matchup the matchup's good on on both both uh, for both guys, but uh, we've talked a lot about Pittsburgh's home road splits. They're at Cincinnati. Uh over the course of the season their numbers are pretty close. Over the last if you just look at the last six weeks, LeVeon Bell's actually dominating touches and touch share. Uh, Johnson gets the bump a little bit in targets over that uh recent stretch, but because of price, because Pittsburgh's on the road, um, because of slightly better matchup, I like Le'Veon Bell. But they're so close.
0: Yeah, I'm with you there, and I don't think a lot of people know this, but New Orleans is actually playing very good run defense over the last six, seven weeks. Not Mm -hmm. that that matters for DJ, because I believe over the last six weeks, Johnson is averaging 9.8 targets per game. That's the same Mm -hmm. amount as Larry Fitzgerald. So David Johnson is essentially just as much of the Cardinals' number one receiver as Larry Fitz, except he's also getting 18 carries per game. Um, But in cash, I honestly think you just get both of those guys in there. I mean... Mm -hmm. And go from there. It's kind of one of those situations where it's like if that doesn't work, and you and you you know you go out like at least you go out honorably, you know. Like it's you, hard <laughs> on DraftKings.
1: You have to make some tough decisions on DraftKings. Um, on Fanduel, I think it's definitely doable. Uh, I mean, I definitely can't argue with it. And I, like, like I mentioned, I, I get into it in the intro of this week's article, so make sure to read that. But I, I agree with you. If you can jam them in, jam them in.
0: Devonte Freeman had six carries for six yards, and two catches for 12 yards last week. He hasn't had 20 touches since week seven, but we know the San Francisco defense is just atrocious against the run. They're 32nd dead last in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed. They've allowed a touchdown to a running back in each of their last 13 games. And then you have Tevin Coleman, which is the problem, because he actually carried the ball two more times. Now, a lot of my, some of this might have had to do with game script because Teron Ward also got in onto the action in the fourth quarter. But Tevin Coleman carried eight times for 36 yards and then had two catches for 19 last week with a touchdown run and a touchdown catch. But Coleman hasn't reached 15 touches since week three. So the obvious answer is to just stack both of these guys, right?
1: um i mean if that if you want to do that you can uh i i have a pretty big problem with um rostering running backs with unreliable volume the only guy that really comes to mind that um, i ever felt too fantastic about that was like a 12 or 13 touch guy uh consistently was danny woodhead and and the reason woodhead was um, always viable is because he dominated red zone looks like um, we very rarely see. And last week, Coleman did get uh, three looks inside the 10-yard line, but that's a big number for running backs in one game. I don't think it's sustainable for Coleman. Over the last six weeks, Devontae Freeman leads all running backs in touches inside, or opportunities inside the 10 with 18. So just that goes to show right there that that's just a really hard number to sustain. Um, if Coleman only scores one touchdown last week, we're maybe not even talking about him. Uh, so it, if I am kind of throwing a dart, um, probably still Freeman against the San Francisco defense. But, uh, you, you talked about a little bit off air, how, how number two running backs have put up some decent numbers against San Francisco, but I think that's a really risky play.
0: And so we talked about how there's a lot of tight salaries if you want to get in levy on. So you wouldn't play Freeman in cash, would you?
1: Um, I I just don't think it. No, I wouldn't put Freeman because the the problem with putting Freeman in in cash is I did say he's just dominating the touches and getting those looks inside uh, the ten yard line. But he his his upside is admittedly capped by um, by Tevin Coleman. And even though it's cash games, you still do want you want the floor, but you still want a guy that can go nuts and make up for some of your other players if things don't work out right that's why we love Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson uh Coleman takes that away from him a little bit
0: I actually think it's the opposite like I think Freeman's floor is low like I wouldn't play Freeman in cash because I think his floor is lowered by the fact that like Freeman could get he could he could get them down the field on a drive but Mm -hmm. just get taken out and it's kind of like Gillis Lee and McCoy where Mm -hmm. There's no real rhyme or reason. It's just sometimes a guy will need a breather and he'll just check out because they have these two backs. It's not like in Pittsburgh where Le'Veon's just going the distance. So I think I think Freeman has as much upside as any running back on the slate, just due to the Forty Nineers' defense being so horrible. I mean, Freeman could. could I think Freeman could go for two hundred yards and three touchdowns. Like I don't think that's out of the question. But I'd also think he could go for like eighty yards and no touchdowns. You know, so I think. that's the reason i wouldn't play him in cash i like both of the guys as tournament plays because i just think this 49er run defense is so historically bad that trying to figure out like which guy is going to go off is probably you know we don't we don't know both could none could but probably at least one of them is and one of them will Mm -hmm. probably have a huge game like one of them one of those guys will probably have a, a ridiculous game so um moving on to wide receiver Stephon Diggs is 6,300 on Sandu and 6,200 on DKs, going up against the Indianapolis Colts. Since new offensive coordinator Pat Shermer took over in Week 8, 10.3 targets a game for Diggs, 7th in the league over that span. He was predictably quiet last week against the Jaguars defense. They ranked 3rd in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to wideouts. But this week, I expect Diggs to return To seeing heavy volume, going against a Colts defense ranked 22nd in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. And as I mentioned earlier, the Vikings offense should perform above expectation, above above the norm this week, I should say. Because their implied point total is 24.5. That's 4.7 points higher than their season average of 19.8. And then Sammy Watkins is 6,100 on FanDuel. And 5,800 on DK going up against the Cleveland Browns. And he played all but three snaps last week. He'll now go up against a Browns D that has allowed the fourth most touchdowns to the wide receiver position. The Bills have the uh, fourth or fifth highest team total on the slate, depending on where you look. And Joe Hayden will probably be on him, but his coverage is not really a concern. He's ranked 90th of 120 qualifiers in Pro Football Focus's cornerback ratings. TJ?
1: Yeah, I, I have to. Uh, I would double check this stat, but I'm pretty sure Cleveland is tied with Green Bay for uh, the most passing touchdowns allowed from outside the red zone. And we know that's where Sammy Watkins, uh, he likes to score from far. So definitely like that Sammy Watkins call there. Uh, a couple wide receivers that stand out to me this week. Uh, my favorite wide receiver of the week is Michael Crabtree. $6,000 on FanDuel, $5,900 on DraftKings. Uh, playing in San Diego, if we look at 4 for four's projections, he's the top overall f- uh, value on our FanDuel value reports. Uh, over the last six weeks, Crabtree is actually top 12 in the league in target share with over 25% of the Raiders' targets. And in that same time span, Amari's getting just 19.4% of the targets. Uh, I mentioned before, this is a 50-point over-under game uh, with a spread of just three, so we should expect both sides to throw and run through throughout the game all the way to the end uh crabtree's salary is at a season low on fanduel and the lowest it's been since week one on DraftKings, and uh also just one of two wide receivers on the main slate with double digit red zone targets over the last six weeks so uh targets and, and target share that you love on DraftKings, upside inside the red zone that you love on fanduel so a lot of michael crabtree for me this week another guy that uh Hasn't been the popular play on his team uh, this year, but I do like this week is Demarius Thomas on FanDuel. He's 6,700 on DraftKings, 6,300 facing the Patriots. Uh, DT and and Sanders are always kind of neck and neck. Their numbers are pretty close. Uh, This week... Demarius Thomas is $300 cheaper on DraftKings, and this is the reason I wanted to point out Demarius Thomas instead of Sanders because I think that $300 can make a big difference on DraftKings this week because the salary is that tight. Uh, Double digit targets in seven of the last eight games, slightly higher target share than Emmanuel Sanders over the last six weeks, and uh, I, I mean, I like both of these guys. Denver has probably the most concentrated offense in the league, definitely, if you look at wide receivers. Uh, They don't have much of a running game to speak of. 77% of all their targets go to wide receivers, which is the highest in the league. The next closest is is Atlanta, who allocates 71% of their team targets to wide receivers. So the offense is just funneling through those wide receivers, and it's basically just to two wide receivers. Uh, Manny and DT have been pretty much top five in target share all year. So uh, I, I like Demaryius Thomas. I like that he's a slight discount on DraftKings. Um, if you like Manny a little bit more and FanDuel at a very similar price point, I get it.
0: Yeah. And that's actually an interesting play. If you want to go contrarian and -hmm. get some of that Patriots offense in there, because I think that's really what will, where Demarius and Emmanuel Sanders will succeed is if the Patriots pour some points on Denver, not a lot of teams are able to do that, but that'll kind of force Denver to throw the ball. Kind of like last week, even though Tennessee didn't really pour a lot of points on, they got up to a big lead early, and we know the Patriots are capable of doing that. And Michael Crabtree, I should point out, he is playing with a finger injury, but if, as long as he's practicing, um, we have to consider him probable. Um, I credit John Paulson with this because we are t- kind of discussing earlier in the year about how to distinguish who would be probable from questionable now that they threw out the probable tag. And he kind of said, you know, if, if a guy's practicing every day in the week and he does a full practice Friday, he's not limited at all, he'd probably be listed as probable. And I did a study on injuries in the off season, um, going back a number of years and found that, you know, if a player is probable, a wide receiver is probable with a finger injury, there are no real effects. It's only if he's questionable where he sees a 14.3% dip. So, Uh, Crabs should be fine, and I like him a lot this week. I also want to mention that I misspoke on Sammy Watkins. He's actually 5,900 on DraftKings, not 5,800. My key stat, Tyreek Hill and Taylor Gabriel have both been top 15 wide receivers in terms of points per game on DraftKings over the last six weeks and top 10 in points per game on FanDuel over the last six weeks.
1: Uh, my key stat, uh, looking at one of my favorite guys in the league, Julian Edelman. Over the last six weeks, Edelman leads all receivers in targets per game and target market share.
0: Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, Odell Beckham, or Julio Jones. Brown's going against the Bengals, Evans against the Cowboys, Beckham against the Detroit Lions, and then Julio, if he plays, we're not sure he's going to play. Apparently he's dealing with a sprained toe, but he'd be going against the s- porous San Francisco 49ers. Defense, who would you want to roster in a GPP out of those four, TJ?
1: Uh, Brown, we know about his home road splits, uh struggles a little bit on the road compared to at home. Mike Evans, his volume is down a little bit lately. We touched on that a little bit earlier. Julio, even if he's played, we've seen him uh, really struggle with these lower body injuries over his career. Odell Beckham is the only wide receiver on the main slate with at least 30% of his team targets over the last six weeks and 30% of his team red zone targets over the last six weeks. Give me Odell Beckham Jr.
0: Yeah, I agree. And it's just really a matter of, you know, can he catch a short pass and take it the distance? And that's not something to rely on, but he's just so good at doing that, that he could do it twice in a game. So in a tournament, especially Detroit, they play some zone defense. Um, you know, Odell's better than Darius Sway, so I'm not really concerned about that at all. Beckham's price is still pretty low, uh, especially on DraftKings. I think it's the lowest it's been since 2014 because it didn't change from last week since the game was on mm-hmm. Sunday night, so I'd go Beckham there as well. Allen Robinson, 4400 on DK. That's 3900 less than he was in Week 1, so this price almost has cut in half. He's going up against the Texans. He put up a 9 for 107 in one line against them a few weeks ago, but he will have to deal with A.J. Bouye. At corner, who it has been playing well, very well. So TJ, do you want any part of this Allen Robinson situation this week? Yeah,
1: not not too excited about Robinson the way um, this offense has been going. You mentioned today in your uh, weekly weekly reflection column, the the weekly recap of the tournaments. He's not seen the deep balls that he saw last year, so um, that's really hurting his production. Not even the favorite target on the team right now. Marquise Lee uh, has seen eight targets in three of the last four. Uh, In that stretch, Allen Robinson has seen eight targets just once with two weeks under five targets. So um, not even targeting that cheap price tag uh, this week.
0: Yeah, I think I'll probably have some exposure, and depending on how much, depending on ownership projections, because I'm not sure if people are going to see the salary And the talent and he's going to be kind of the chalk play in that range or if people are going to kind of be thinking like you know i I want nothing to do with this but to your point last season 44.7 percent of his targets were 15 or more yards downfield this season only 25.2 percent of his targets have come at that depth, and last season, 66.4% of Robinson's yardage was from those 15-plus yard targets downfield, but this year, only 32.9% of his yardage is coming from those targets, so literally, uh, his whole distribution of how he's getting his yardage has been cut in half from those 15-yard targets, and that's a big reason he's struggling, and I'm not sure it's it's like a utilization issue more more than just Blake Bortles struggling it's like Blake Bortles also isn't targeting him deep like he used to and i i don't watch all of the all 22 film but I, I i'd be betting that Robinson's not running as many of those routes um down the field either so whatever's going on it's it's not good but i do i do think just based on the price and the talent i think robinson even if he's not getting those deep looks is still always a multi-touchdown threat um because of his body size so i'll have i'll definitely have some exposure but i'm not too excited either and then deandre hopkins in that same game he's also at a season low price tag um do you want any part of him this week the jaguars are pretty good defense against wide receivers
1: Yeah, Jaguars are good against wide receivers. Um, I'm not a huge fan of of tying my hopes to the arm of Brock Osweiler. Uh, This team, even when they have passed, especially lately, they've really been filtering uh, their passing game through the tight end. 39% of all targets have went to the tight end position over the last six weeks, which is the most in the league. Even though C.J. Fedorowicz um, is in concussion protocol, I believe, uh, even if he doesn't play, a a lot of that – Target share has been going to Ryan Griffin, so I do think Ryan Griffin can step in and still see healthy amount of targets. DeAndre Hopkins is not seen any red zone targets, just two over the last six weeks, just one target inside the 10 over that span, so a little bit of capped upside there. Uh, again, another guy, good name, good price, probably not going to make it on many of my rosters.
0: Yeah, I'm more excited about Robinson than Hopkins, I just don't really know where to go with him. Tight end Jermaine Gresham is 4500 the min price on FanDuel and DK 2500 there. Going up against the New Orleans Saints, Gresham is tied for fourth among tight ends in targets per game over the last 3 weeks with 7.7. He's caught 5 passes in 3 straight games. We know tight ends typically perform at their best as Home favorites in terms of value, and the Saints' defense is ranked twenty-fifth in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends.
1: I love gresham he's my my top value play uh, tight end. Mm-hmm. Week. Uh, another guy that is, is pretty affordable, especially on DraftKings, is Cameron Break fifty-seven hundred dollars on Fanduel, thirty-eight hundred on DraftKings, uh, facing the Cowboys who. Um, aren't great against tight ends, not awful, but they rank outside the top 20 in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to the position. Uh, Top five projected value in our value reports on both FanDuel and DraftKings. Uh, We mentioned this a little bit, uh, the targets have been way less concentrated in the Tampa Bay offense lately. Uh, Evans has still seen some of that target share, but not as much uh, double-digit targets just Uh, twice in the last six weeks uh, for Evans. So we could see those spread a little bit more to Cameron Brait. Brait has seen uh, over 20% of the team's red zone target in that six-week span. So um, you're getting decent uh, volume against a team that isn't great against tight ends at a really affordable price. I like Brait this week.
0: Yeah, and people will probably be off of him because I think he was the highest-owned tight end last mm-hmm. week and he didn't really do too much because like you said the volume has been down in terms of passing in that Tampa Bay offense my key stat Travis Kelsey has 100 or more yards in four straight games and five of his past seven
1: my key stat is uh something I I kind of touched on already over the last six weeks Houston has targeted the tight end position 39 percent of the time. The highest tar- target allocation to tight ends in the league during that span. Uh, my top kicker this week, uh, guy in the highest projected team with the highest projected team total, the biggest favorite of the week, facing a San Francisco defense that ranks thirtieth in adjusted fantasy points allowed kickers, and he's the top projected value on our site. That's Matt Bryant at fifty-one hundred. I think you can afford to get to him this week.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I think Bryant's projection is like one and a half points higher than any other kicker, which mm-hmm. is something you usually don't see in a given week. So like the Matt Bryant play. Defense, the Baltimore Ravens, 4,700 on Fandle and 3,100 on DraftKings at home against the Philadelphia Eagles. The Ravens are fourth in points per game on the main slate among defenses. And they are six-point home favorites. Philadelphia's implied point total of 17.25 is 4.95 points less than their season average points per game overall, and 3.75 points less than their road average. And currently, again, we're recording this on Wednesday night, December 14th, but the forecast currently calls for rain and 16-mile-per-hour winds. So especially when you have a rookie quarterback... Um, mistakes will probably be made, so like the Ravens defense this week. Our DFS Theory segment, as I mentioned earlier, will be on leaving salary on the table. It's something that I get a lot of questions about on Twitter. Is it okay to leave salary on the table? So I thought we'd have a little discussion about that. I dug up some data on... Winning lineups in the Millionaire Maker and in the Sunday Million since 2015. I've been tracking these lineups um, just to kind of see any type of trends or anything like that. But leaving salary on the table, it makes the most sense. I'd say in GPPs, short slates when you want to differentiate, I think is a situation where you can leave a ton of salary on the table. And then when you're late swapping on DraftKings, it also makes sense because sometimes you're going to have a certain player, and then the only options are going to be lower-salaried guys, and so I think it's perfectly okay there. So those are the three that come to mind, but I had some data on just how often the winning lineups in the Millimaker and the Sunny Million are leaving salary on the table. So since 2015 since the start of 2015 40 percent of millie maker winning lineups have left salary on the table the range has been between a hundred dollars and 800 and the average amount of salary left among those 40 percent is 300 dollars. now 75 percent of lineups that left salary on the table left three hundred or less. So it seems that it's not hurting you in something like the Millie Maker. And if you're a person that always is maxing out the salary cap, you know, maybe just to get to some unique roster construction or something like that, maybe you should start thinking about leaving a little salary on the table a little more often. You know, if, if like, 95 or or 100% of your lineups are all maxed out, well, you know, 40% of lineups are leaving salary on the table. Now, again, you always have to take these winning lineup studies with a grain of salt because it's just reflective. It could be reflective of just lineups in general. But, again, if it's, if it's way different from what you're doing and, you know, it is winning, you know, it is something to take into consideration. And then on FanDuel, the... Winning Sunday Million lineup since 2015. It's actually a higher percentage than DraftKings. 58% of those lineups have left salary on the table. The range is being between, excuse me, $100 and $1,100, with the average being $366. So $400 on average, and two-thirds, 66% of those lineups have left $300 or less on the table. So you know usually leave salary on the table 300 or less seems all right once once you get past that i'm sure not many people are doing it so that probably skews it a little but um in case you guys were kind of wondering or thinking about that that is what the data shows tj have some thoughts
1: yeah um i want to touch on something that these winning in terms of salary left on the table um the stats could be reflective of uh, just what the community is doing as a whole. So just kind of put it into perspective of, of exactly what that means. Um, if 99.9% of lineups being entered into into the game, and that's not the case, but just using an example, um, are leaving $300 or less on the table, then the chances are that a... Uh, a winning lineup's going to have three hundred dollars or less left on the table. So exactly. that doesn't necessarily that doesn't necessarily mean that it's it's not optimal to do it. It could just be the fact, uh, maybe just not enough people um, aren't trying it. And I, I think what that that is is uh, the majority of lineups in a um, in any big game are uh, people that don't do this for a living, aren't professionals, aren't grinders. And I think a, a lot of people, especially um, early in DFS. Uh, you really get caught up in that salary. You really want to max out that salary because I think uh, the the psychological effect, and for the most part it's true, but you, you just think a, a guy that's priced more has to be a better play. So you really get caught up. You see that, that salary left on the table, and then you realize, oh, I can get to this guy, and all of a sudden, uh, oh, he's a better name. Now I could get to uh, Larry Fitzgerald instead of uh, a less sexy name, and, and you kind of really get lost in just trying to fill up that salary. Uh, I, I think that's kind of where we've talked about this before. The the difference between uh, the science and the art of DFS really comes into play. And there's no perfect way to quantify when to leave salary on the table, when not to. So I think it's a matter of of getting comfortable with, uh, the projections you make, the projections you follow, and um, how and why you're building your lineups. And I think as, as you gain that experience, uh, you're able to, to look at a lineup, recognize that that is exactly what you're trying to do. And whatever that number might be, whether it be $200 left over or $600 left over, that that's the exact lineup you want to roll out for the situation you're in now. Obviously, all of these situations are, are, are going to vary, and you touched on this in the introduction to the theory segment, and we were thinking about a little bit, uh, what kind of game are you playing? So cash games versus GPPs, uh, you should think a little bit different about um, how you're approaching it, why you're leaving salary on the table. So in cash games, um, for the most part, you're, you're probably leaving... Uh, some floor or some value on the table if you're leaving uh, a decent amount of salary. And there's no uh, real clear cutoff, but if I start seeing um, $500, $600, then I want to go back and kind of look at all these positions and think about, like the the point of building a cash game lineup um, is to, you want to build around value, but part of that value is because you're able to, Uh, really maximize your your roster spots um where you're building around that value and if you just end up with if you just have uh 10 quote-unquote value plays and you're leaving six seven hundred dollars on the table you can get to a a higher tier um wide receiver or running back or something like that then that's definitely something you want to consider and uh in those cash games i also do think you you want to consider the tiers sometimes players are really bunched up in salary and uh You might have six hundred dollars left on the table but if it costs eight hundred dollars to get up to that next tier to position uh then maybe leaving 600 that week is the way to go Uh, gpps are pretty different gpps you can use this as a way to differentiate your lineup um, especially if you're focusing on specific game stacks or you've chosen a a very limited player pool uh if you're really zeroed in on on what you want to do um you're, you have three game stacks that you're going to build around, and then there just aren't a ton of players you like. Uh, maybe you build a tournament lineup that leaves $800 on the table, but uh, I think what the, the trap you can get caught in is if you have your exposures worked out, if you have the, the, the player stacks that you really wanted to target, um, and then you start tinkering for the sole purpose of filling out your your salary, especially in a tournament, then you really get caught in a situation where you're uh, getting away from your original plan and and you start really tinkering with those exposures and maybe maybe you had an optimal process and you start to really get away from it just because you saw that number that made you uncomfortable. You want that full $60,000. So that's just uh, a couple of things to think about in terms of leaving salary on the table and cash gains versus GPPs. Chris, I'm I'm sure you have a couple more thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, um, one thing interesting you said was about you can sometimes look at a player that is more expensive in terms of salary and say, well, he must be the better player. And I think you did a study on this and found that the correlation between a player's salary and the amount of points he actually scores is only about 0.26. So Mm -hmm. there isn't really too much of a correlation between salary and And production in any given game, I think salary is going to correlate a lot more to past production. But we all know, you know, there's a lot of volatility there. So, you know, I I wouldn't automatically assume that just because a player is more expensive that he's a better pick or something like that. And yeah, I do, I do agree. I think in cash games, when you start seeing any more than a couple hundred bucks left over regardless of the site, then you might just want to think about maybe changing up the whole roster construction because maybe you can just build a, a a lineup where you pay up in different spots than you're already doing um, and, and see if you can get a higher floor that way. But in tournaments, yeah, I really don't think it's a big deal because in tournaments you're really looking for, you're not, you're, not, you're never going to build the perfect lineup, but you are looking for kind of one of the best lineups of the week. And if that entails maybe you know you have a certain lineup and then you can fit what would be say the chalk tight end but maybe you save 800 dollars and drop down to a much lower owned tight end like there's a lot of volatility in that position and so there's a good chance that that lower price tight end could outscore you know the higher price one and you don't necessarily maybe need to bump up anywhere else because you like your lineup as is like tj mentioned you know maybe you have some stacks in there or a bunch of different correlated plays that you don't want to mess with so the bottom line is I think it's a lot more viable in tournaments. And, I mean, honestly, the numbers surprised me a little bit. I mean, 40% of winning lineups and 58% on 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 draft on FanDuel, excuse me. I As far as I see just from looking through lineups, I don't think that's quite reflective of the field. I feel like more of the field, and maybe it's just me, but I feel like more of the field maximizes their salary. Uh, do you think that's true, T.J.? Or do you think 40% of people on DraftKings and 58% of people on FanDuel are not um, maxing out their salary cap.
1: Um i I think most people are probably trying to to max out their salary cap. So yeah, I agree with you. I don't think that's complete. I don't think that's reflective of the field either.
0: So I mean, if that's the case, I think you. you again, at the end of the day, you really in in tournaments you really want to hit on the right plays. You only have. You have nine slots to hit on nine of the best plays. The way I like to think about it a lot of times is you want to win each salary tier because no matter what kind of line of construction you you, you do, you're probably going to have to have you know a couple of guys you know in the five well in drafting a couple of guys in five k range, a couple of guys in the six k range, maybe one at least one guy in the four k range or, or below, at least one guy uh, in the seven k range or above. So you just kind of want to win each of those salary tiers. Um, and and there's never been a lineup a winning lineup anyway i'm not sure many people do this anyway but there's never been a winning lineup of all five and six K guys at least in the millie maker um so you're usually gonna have to have players in different salary tiers and you just kind of want to win those tiers and get the highest scoring player in the tiers and a lot of times that will leave you not necessarily maxing out your cap so um i think that it's it's a lot more viable um in tournaments
1: Yeah, so building on the idea of um, building around players and pricing tiers, I think leaving salary uh, on the table can fluctuate a lot depending on if if salaries are uh, very, very loose or very, very tight. I think when salaries are very loose, um, especially in cash games, you can usually fit almost any player you want by definition of salaries being loose um, into your lineup. So if you're leaving salary on the table when uh, salaries are loose and you pretty much have your pick of the litter, that probably means you're probably leaving uh, quite a bit of value on the table. You can most likely get up to the next tier pretty easily when salaries are loose. So I think if you find that uh, there's a ton of value lots of guys priced reasonably, the top guys are all affordable, and you're still leaving salary on the table, that's probably a mistake. Uh, When salaries are really tight, sometimes there's only one or two really clear value plays and maybe only one or two floor guys that you really uh, feel like you you should and need to get into your lineup. And when that's the case, uh, it might be a little bit of a disaster to jump up a tier If, if you have, say, six hundred dollars left on the table and you completely uh, tear up your roster construction for the simple fact of uh, filling out your salary and then you're not only fading those best value plays but you're also fading the few floor guys that uh, you're able to get to when salaries are tight then um, I think maybe that could be a suboptimal approach Chris do you have any any insight on, on loose salary versus tight salary and, and uh, what the effects might be on leaving salary left over?
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, I mean, I guess loose and tight is subjective salaries in general, mm-hmm. but I, I really usually, I don't know if it's related or not exactly, but I usually see it in short slates where mm-hmm. they're, there will be a certain way to kind of build the most expensive lineup and it'll fit in the cap. And I feel like people think that they have to do it. And I, I remember this past week, the the primetime slate where the Giants-Cowboys game was a Sunday night and then the Patriots-Ravens game was the Monday night, a large percentage of the field owned Des Bryant. And I felt mm-hmm. like they owned him just because like they could kind of get to him because they weren't really... Um, there was Zeke Elliott, but there wasn't really another high-priced running back that you really needed to get in there. Um, so I think it comes down to what you know. If there's a short, if it's a short slate, you have to consider the fact that you only have so many spots. So you are going to need something closer to that per- perfect lineup. So you can't just say, "Well, I'll just play this." I'll just play this expensive guy like a Des Bryant in a bad matchup. You know, just because you know, even if he has a floor game, you know, it's whatever. Because there, is, odds are there's going to be four receivers that do better than Des Bryant if he has a bad game. Um, and then, you know, if there is, if you're on a larger slate and and there's tight there's there's tight salaries, I mean, I think, I think yeah, I think I think you're I think you make a valid point that you don't want to kind of switch up your whole roster construction just to just to max out your salary when there's not even a lot of plays that you necessarily like that fit together as it is like if there's play if there are plays that you like that fit together and you leave some salary left over then I, and I'm all for it because at the end of the day like I said I don't have the exact data on this but I just suspect that a lot of people aren't leaving as much salary it, it much or if any salary on the table like I think the majority of users st- create a lineup and they leave maybe 200 or so at most. And, you know, the, a lot of the uh, left on the table comes from people, maybe weight swapping or things like that. So, and I think that's also a, another, you know, positive for, for late swapping because a lot, a lot of people don't maybe understand the point of it, but it's essentially you want to use it when you're in a tournament and you, you, you're kind of having a sweat and you kind of check the lineups in front of you and maybe you, you need to overtake some people. And so you kind of rule out, you kind of, reverse engineer lineups and you say okay well a a bunch of people have the same guy that i have so i want to pivot to a lower owned guy and he'll probably you'll probably have to go down in salary because like i said even if you're only even if you do have a couple of hundred left on the table like 200 the odds are that there aren't going to be many players one or two hundred dollars more that you can pivot up to so you're probably going to still have to you know pivot down in salary so um. Yeah, I, I think I think it it definitely depends on on the roster construction and the salaries in a given week. But in general, I I think I'd I'd on a short slate. I think that's when you really can get you can leave a couple grand or or, or more on the table because you really just those roster spots are so valuable. Like if you're not hitting on something close to the perfect lineup, you're not going to do well.
1: Yeah, I, I th- the, the last and final note that I had was on the size of the slate and, and how you end up um, leaving money on the table. And what people have to remember is that on these short slates, players are priced at their price. Uh, for the main slate it's the same pricing across uh, across the uh, all the games so uh, you have these players that they're they're fitting into this pricing model for a 13 game slate but they're in a four game slate and you touched on it people want to get up to Des Bryant and sometimes uh, rostering a um, a combination of Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen when you could get to Des Bryant feels really weird Uh, but I I would bet that if you go into any lineup optimizer and, and put a short slate, uh, lock that salary into like as high as possible with the best uh, medium projection. If you just hit the, the lineup generator, that's probably going to be uh, the most owned lineup because that's going to show the highest possible salary. Uh, but but that's definitely not the way to go in shorter slates. Touching on, on the DraftKings late swap that you mentioned, I think um, some people that, that don't use late swap a lot or um, just aren't uh, very familiar with, with DraftKings might be Um, a a little bit confused it's it's not that you're necessarily um building a lineup at the beginning of the week expecting to have leftover salary what ends up happening is uh ideally you want to put your most expensive uh latest guy into your flex position on DraftKings. so if i don't know the, the the packers are um the Packers are on a, a Sunday night game, and and you you have Jordy Nelson and Devonte Adams in your lineup. Uh, whoever's more expensive, you put in the flex. And then, uh, if you do find yourself in a spot where um, maybe you're you're behind someone that you've reversed engineered has the same uh, lineup as you, then obviously the only way to win is to swap out that flex position if he has the same players um then you're and you you say maybe you have the two most expensive players left you're gonna end up swapping to uh maybe a a third wide receiver or a tight end or even a wide receiver on the other team uh and because you started with the most expensive guy you usually end up with maybe even up to fifteen hundred dollars uh left on the table so on DraftKings, especially that is why uh maybe in some weird spots you can see a tournament one with a uh, a salary left, maybe a thousand dollars left on the table. If you see that, I would bet. If you look at that flex position, it was someone that played in the latest game in that tournament. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about salary left on the table with late swap.
0: Well said. That about wraps it up for us this week on DFS MVP. We thank all you guys for listening. If you like the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, TJ, uh, any final words about roster coach before we get out here?
1: yeah we're still um grinding out content weekly at roster coach a a site where we basically want to show you our weekly process so going beyond uh just the the weekly picks really showing you what we do every single week it's video based classroom style content so really great learning experience and Additionally, all of our roster coach coaches are available for one-on-one coaching, Chris and myself included, so great opportunity to um, expedite the learning process or if you're just uh, short on study time for a week and need to pick our brain for an hour, we're available on rostercoach.com.
0: Definitely, great site. And One of my favorite videos on roster coach is the GPP value report where TJ breaks down Uh, The GPPs in terms of rake, min cash, what percentage of the field is paid, what the top prize is, can be very helpful for maximizing your ROI. In the GPP, um, follow TJ on Twitter at TJ Hernandez, and you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Raybon. Follow 4for4 4 4 at 4for4Football 4 4 and check out the 4for4.com DFS subscription. You'll get a nice discount since it's the end of the season. And we are going through uh, the playoffs with the uh, Week 20, I believe it is, championship round. So check all that stuff out. Uh, any last words, TJ? A
1: couple last words. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention earlier in the pod, there is a Saturday night game this week. So do not play the wrong slate. Um, and then... My final last words, what you know about that shmoney?
0: Let's get this shmoney.